turn with me to the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians, where I want to talk to you today about the shield of faith. As you know, this is a chapter that deals with what we know as spiritual warfare. Now, there's wars going on all over the world, not just Israel. And we should keep our eyes on Israel and, of course, pray for the peace of Jerusalem as we're instructed in the book. But let us not forget all the other nations. Let us not forget all the other people out there that need Christ. Jesus said, I came, God sent his only begotten son into the world that the world through him might be saved. Anyway, in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 6, we see what becomes obvious once you read it, that the Christian is to put on armor. And to this day, soldiers wear body armor, which many times saves their lives. Beginning at the 10th verse, the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Verse 13. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, of course, there's a lot there. And we are not going to be accenting all that I've just read from this sixth chapter of Ephesians, but you should really give yourself to it and meditate on it. The fact that we're exhorted to put on armor means we are at war and then we read further in the New Testament that the devil goes about seeking whom he may devour. This is, in that particular instance, it's written to Christians. He's going about seeing where there's a chink in the armor if you have it on. And if you don't have the armor on, you've already lost. You're going to lose. There's no question about that. But I want to zero in on just one aspect of our uniform, of our armor, and that is the shield of faith. As I mentioned earlier in communion, Faith goes before every other grace of God. What about repentance, as I mentioned? You can't repent unless you actually believe there's going to be a judgment and that there's a place called hell. You have to believe it first, then repent and more belief. Repent and believe the gospel. You have to believe first anything you read in the Bible. You have to believe it first before you're going to act on it. Or avoid something God says to avoid and to obey God and so on and so forth. There is nothing more indispensable related to the virtues of the Christian life and related to the graces that God gives than belief and faith. I mean, we are right now down at the lowest level that we can go when it comes to relationship with Jesus Christ, not simply with the church body, not simply with the doctrines, however correct they may be, of a local church or a denomination, we must have faith in order to be in a relationship with the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Nothing goes before faith. It always comes first. We must believe. And I was reading the story of a man, he was a photographer, who was jumping, skydiver, and he was the one going to be taking all the pictures of the other skydivers going down and all of these things that we see. And as everyone was descending, he was taking pictures. The story is told. This happened in 1988. It's a true story. 
All of a sudden, just the camera just went all over the place. Nothing was in focus. You've seen that before when a cameraman, for whatever reason, drops the camera or something happens where it's in focus no more. You just see everything spinning around. But what happened was this. As he was photographing all of his other skydiving friends, and they had pulled their chutes and he was taking pictures of them, he went to pull on his ripcord and it wasn't there. In his excitement, or enthusiasm, or whatever it was, he forgot to put on his own parachute. I give you that story to say this. We hear a lot in this world, you gotta believe, you gotta have faith. In what? Because if you have faith in nothing, you don't have a parachute. Further, if your parachute is laying somewhere in your home with a coating of dust on it, you don't have any faith that's gonna save you from this plunge. Further, if you simply read through because maybe from a child you were taught to do your devotions, I would rather exhort you to become devoted, not just simply do devotions. That means a lot of things to a lot of different people, but to be devoted to Christ is defined, as I mentioned, right here in the book. It tells us what to do. We have a roadmap. We have instructions. You don't want to be jumping into eternity thinking that you have faith to pull on the ripcord to find out. There's nothing there. You don't want to jump into eternity based once again on the dogma or doctrines of a local church, which may again be biblically correct. And then again, they may not be. Because when you pull on the ripcord and you see eternity, when you pull on that parachute, and this is a metaphor, you want to make sure that it opens up and says, Jesus, salvation, the blood of Christ. And the only thing that can help you to do that is you must believe. The man whose daughter was well, dying but dead, Jesus asked him, do you believe that I can do this? And his response was, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. We all have a measure where we struggle with our faith in Christ. Every one of us. Listen, if faith were not a fight, then we wouldn't have to put on armor. If, if faith was easy, well then, everyone would have it, at least in one way of looking at it. Everyone would have it because it's easy. If faith was a mere mental assent to what this book says, then everyone would have it. But we know from reading the book that faith and works go together. Faith produces the works, the grace of God produces the works, but the works are no less disconnected from faith. You want to make sure in this world, you pull on the ripcord of this book because you're living in it. And as I say to you from time to time regarding your personal faith, all I can do is teach, pray, and exhort, and after that I have nothing to do with what you believe. I can only believe for myself. You must develop a relationship with Christ that is so personal that you know no one can take it from you, and it's done by faith. This, I would submit to you, is the leading problem in the individual's life who makes a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. So I just mentioned, let me just talk about the obvious, just for a second or so. We wake up yesterday, October the 7th, 2023, and in the area of Gaza, Israel's under attack. And we read headlines like this. On October the 7th, 2023, a large escalation of the Gaza-Israeli-Israel conflict began with a coordinated offensive by multiple Palestinian militant groups against the state of Israel. Another headline says, Netanyahu says Israel is at war after Hamas launches surprise air and ground attack from Gaza. Another headline, Gaza declares war, surprise infiltration, massive barrages shock Israel. Over 250 Israelis killed, 1,000 wounded, civilians and soldiers held hostage in Gaza, and so on. And almost every week when I come to you, almost every single week, I share with you just another sign. If you're not familiar, especially those that are watching by way of television, read Jesus' words of what to look for that would indicate he's going to return soon. It's in Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21, and Mark chapter 13. Read through it. They all have some additions that make the complete story. And the signs are everywhere. I often say, it's not hard to see the signs, it's hard to miss them. And yet, and here's the thing, another sign that I've talked to you about frequently 
is a falling away from the faith. It's not what we would expect if we were to write the story. And it's not what some either uninitiated individual who's reading the Bible selectively, certain passages, or is quixotic in their thinking when they don't understand that one of the signs among the many war in Israel, well, there's going to be more wars in Israel and a major one of an offensive from the north, which we know and believe to be the Russian coalitions, from the east, which we believe again to be the Orient, China, and this is not going away. These are the signs that Jesus said, look for these signs. They're going to happen. And we pray for people. And I exhort you not only to pray for the people of Israel, because this is certainly biblical with the covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but we must remember the entire planet to pray for those who do not know Christ. Pray for everybody. And so we have these signs that are continually reminding us Jesus' words when you see these things come to pass, look up, for your redemption is very close. And if you believe today that Christ is very close, not just his words to be with us always, which is very encouraging, but that his coming to this planet is very close, your behavior will reflect it. You'll find yourself in the place of prayer. You'll find yourself giving, uh, well, I guess I have to say it this way. As much time to Jesus as you give to your sports. I have no shame in announcing to you that I am routinely two hours a day in the gym. Two hours a day. That's not for me. I don't care if it's for you. And what you do with your exercise program, that's up to you because that's not in my domain. That is not part of my purview. My purview is the book, but I can guarantee you this. I spend more time in this book and in prayer, meditation, and so on than I do in the gym. I'm just simply saying I'm not going to stand here as a hypocrite and say, I just get in and out because that's not really important. <clears throat> but then again, washing my car may not seem important or changing the oil. There's certain things that we do in this world, like brushing our teeth and eating and sleeping, that are important for the time being. But there is nothing more important than a full dedication to Jesus Christ in this hour of history. But, my friends, listen to me. Do not expect it from everybody because some say, but they don't do. They say, but they don't do. I'll remind you that as Americans, we think all we've got to do is flip the lever for our candidate whom we like and it's all done. And people who say our country is divided, let me give you some, how should I say, a newsflash. We've been divided from at least the 19th century. This is not new. It's not new. It's gotten worse, but it's not new. If you think this is something new that prior to your birth or your parents' birth, everybody got along, everybody voted the same way, that's not true. And we're not going to just flick a switch or salute the flag and say, that's all we need. We need Christ. We need God. We need to return. We need 2 Chronicles 7:14. If my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. That's a prayer for Israel. And don't forget it when you pray for Israel. It wasn't just a few months back that in their parliament, there was a few measures, a few people raising their hands to get Christianity all out of Israel. It wasn't the majority. Let's not forget these things. Let's remember that God is working out a plan both with Israel and the nations. And when Jesus comes, as he teaches us in Matthew and the angels will separate the righteous from the unrighteous, the just from the wicked from the righteous. Let's not forget, it's going to include the whole planet. There's no nation that will be exempted. Let's balance ourselves with these things. Faith cannot be replaced by anything. It is the fundamental principle that we believe God on every word that he has written, spoken, in order to have victory in our lives. And I mentioned the signs of the times to encourage you to look up. Your redemption is getting close, but you make sure that when you pull on the ripcord and say, Here, my Lord, he does not say to you, I never knew you. Read that. You want to make sure you have a living faith, because faith without works is dead. It's not a living faith. It's not even a real faith. It's just a pretense or a delusion. Real faith lines itself up with the word of God from the beginning to the end. 
And that's the faith that you want. Is that the faith that you have? You're a soldier of Christ. You are expected to go into the battle with two things. The mindset that we are more than overcomers, but you must get into the battle. You must put on this armor. And you must be prepared for the warfare that we are already in. Otherwise, once again, you lose. I speak of bullies and some that I grew up with or the neighborhoods where I grew up. You don't win with a bully if you don't stand up to that bully having done all to stand. You don't win. They will continue to take your money, to abuse you, to punch you, whatever they do. I had the decision to grow up in the neighborhoods where I grew up. Only two decisions, flee or fight. I chose to fight. That choice has been made for us by God. Saved, yes, but we must fight because we have been placed in the army of God. The word faith is mentioned 245 times in the New Testament alone. 245 times. Do you think the author is trying to emphasize something? And if we take the whole Bible, it's 247 times. That's just the word faith. Throw in believe, believe, believeth, and all these other synonyms for faith. And you have it thousands of times mentioned. Believe the Lord. Believe the Lord. Believe the Lord. How do we believe the Lord? We believe the word of God. Here he wrote a book for us. Believe the Lord, the prophet says. Believe the Lord. Believe his words. Augustine once wrote this. Understanding is the reward of faith. Therefore seek not to understand that you may believe, but believe that you may understand. Faith always comes first. From the beginning of the garden, right to the end of the age, faith in God will always come first. We don't have faith because we understand it. We have faith so that we gain understanding, and that does come in time. Let me ask you this question today. It's just a personal question for you to answer for yourself. I mean, where do you really stand with Jesus? I don't care where you stand with the Baptist church or the time for truth, for that matter. I mean, where do you really stand with Jesus? Have you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount? Have you read, you know, these things that Jesus, the apostles, the prophets talked about? Where do you actually stand with Jesus today? Because, listen, this surprise attack in Gaza against Israel, there's a part of me that says it wasn't a complete surprise. Their technology is second to none in the world, Israel's. Be that as it may, it's reported that it was a surprise attack, and I guess that it was. And when those things happen in life, to whom do you run? My sermon last week was, of whom shall I be afraid? You can only say that when you actually have, in reality, underneath you, a genuine faith in Christ. Genuine. Not contrived. If we were to open this up, shut this down right now, have a question and answer period, I asked the question, you'd always have the right answers because you know what you're supposed to say. But that's not the same, not necessarily as having an abiding faith when a surprise attack comes against your own life, something you don't expect, then what do you do? Well, you call people to pray, and that's a good thing. It's biblical. But that fear that just overwhelmed your heart for this incident that just came upon you is not going to submit easily unless you already have an abiding faith that says, I have trusted God in the past. I have known God in the past. I have watched God work in the past. And God is going to work now. And he's going to work in the future. This is what faith does. It brings experience. I have known, Paul said. I have known whom I have believed. Not that I just heard it or even read it. I have known him. And I am persuaded, because he knows him, that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. He's persuaded. That everything he's given to God is being not only kept secure, but it's growing. And he's being kept by the power of God. Is that you today? And if it's not, it means your strength is small and your faith is small and you have to grow it. Faith is something you can actually measure. Oh, woman, Jesus says, great is thy faith. And she wasn't a Jew. How's that happen? They actually got angry with Jesus for pointing these things out later on. He says to the apostles, O ye of little faith, great faith, little faith. And on occasion, he says, no faith. How is it that you have no faith? Well, faith can be measured, is my point. When we look in Ephesians chapter 6, we see the helmet, we see the breastplate, 
And it doesn't take too long to figure out what these things were designed to protect, especially if you think of the era in which the New Testament was written, the Roman era. The head is protected. The chest is protected. Here you have all your major organs, right? The heart, the lungs, stomach, intestines, liver, pancreas, and so on. But it's protected. Legs right down to the feet are protected. But the one weapon that is larger than all the others is the shield. Even police officers don't refer to themselves as having a badge, but a shield. When my brother became a police officer years ago, he received number 91. And I told him this was before he received Christ. Now he's a long-time Christian. I said, you know Psalm 91? Read it. Psalm 91. It gave me a memory aid when I prayed for my brother to protect him and so on. He had 91 on his shield. And of all the implements in the warfare that we are in, the largest by far is faith. If you're thinking of a shield that's a little thing like this, you have the wrong picture. A Roman shield went down almost to the feet and almost up to the head. They could turn it about at any time to protect. If you're still there in the text, read what it says, that you can quench some of the fiery darts of the wicked one. Oh, it doesn't say some? Then why do we behave as though it's some? You see, we read all, but we behave some. Well, God, you know, what, God doesn't understand finances? You think God doesn't know about Wall Street? You think God doesn't know about sickness and disease? More than the doctors that study it? More than the scientists who explain it? All the fiery darts are the wicked one. But you, you be reminded of this. Those fiery darts are coming. You say, oh God, don't send me any fiery darts. They come. It's part of the process. We are in a warfare against the mind, the soul, the captivity of the thoughts. That's why we're told to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. Every thought. The fearful thoughts, the hate thoughts, the envy thoughts, what's going on thoughts. Those are fiery darts. And the only armor that can really adequately protect, you got something for your head, you're saved. But without that shield of faith, really believing that, your helmet's going to fall off. You're going to go home and you're going to wonder, maybe I'm saved, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm saved, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm saved. That's what Mother Teresa struggled with her whole life. Read her autobiography. Well, it's not autobiography, it's memoirs of her confessor. She never believed. She did a great amount of works, and I'm not here to judge her. I'm just simply saying, this is the truth, everybody knows it. How do you go through life doing these great things and not be assured that you yourself are going to see Jesus? For me, it's got to be that way first. Then we walk out and we do the works that God tells us to do in his word. But you must have a faith that if you're hit in the head and you have a helmet, you have a shield that put up as now the devil is attacking your head. Whenever I have an issue physically, it's usually from the neck down. This is what I tell my doctors. My head remains clear. I got the book, I got prayer, I've got a lot of things, so my head is kind of like this way. Now down here, it could be chaotic. It could be an ache, a pain, a spasm, or whatever it may be. So now while my head is under attack, I put up the shield. Now a dart comes this way, and I put up the shield, and it comes out that way. And it's going right down to my feet, up to my head. If I put the shield down, well, I have some protection. Chest, abdomen, head, feet, but the shield. Let me not at this point neglect the sword, which means we fight back. Amen. We don't surrender. Jesus has already given us the victory. We have this word. We have prayer. We have fellowship. We have these things. We can thrust through by the word of God, which the metaphor is a sword. It is written like Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4. Satan comes to him. If you are the son of God, you're hungry. Make the stones become bread. Jesus says, it is written. Listen to me carefully. He didn't say, I had a dream. He didn't say, I'm feeling something. Learn to say, it is written and know where it's written. Amen. Satan comes back to him a second time. If you are the son of God, throw yourself off the temple. Because the Bible says, that's my words, because Satan says, it is written. This is the 91st Psalm. 
that he will give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they'll bear thee up. Now Satan's quoting scripture. If you're not taking notes, take a note on that one. That means you turn on the TV, you hear somebody, oh, but Pastor Ray, you said this about so-and-so, which I usually don't mention too many names, because they're quoting the Bible. You keep in mind that Satan knows the Bible. He knows how to quote it back to you. And then you're saying, maybe I should throw myself off. Jesus didn't bake bread for the devil. Jesus didn't jump for the devil. And then in the last case, he didn't bow down to the devil. When Satan, the third time, comes to Jesus and he says, see all these kingdoms? They're mine. You want all that wealth out there? Relatively speaking, God has given, the Greek word is ekousia. It's a permission to rule for a time, Satan, on this planet. And he says, they're mine to give to whomever I want. Jesus says, it is written again, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Three times when Jesus is attacked, he fights back with the sword that says these three words, it is written. And might I add to that, we're also supposed to rightly divide the word of truth. Don't play, as I've told you through the years, don't play Christian Bible roulette. I told you this story. It's a true story of a bank security guard who was admitted to our emergency room when I worked in the field with a bullet lodged in his head. What happened? At lunch, when everyone went out except a couple of the tellers or secretaries, he decided to scare them. So in his revolver, he took out five of the chambers. He emptied five chambers, put the bullets in his pocket, and then systematically spun just to scare them. He was laughing. They weren't. Put it back in again, laughing, until finally his luck ran out. Do not play Bible roulette. There are occasions, I've had them myself, when you just happen to fall upon a scripture and it suits the moment. But keep in mind, Satan knows how to put a bullet in the chamber with a verse that does not apply to your situation. And you're going to shoot yourself in the head with a Bible verse. That's not what it was intended to do. We fight back, though, after rightly dividing the word of God with it is written. And we use the shield the whole time to cover our entire body. And it says that we will quench how many? All. All the fiery darts of the wicked. Once again, we look for a comfortable life, an easy life. We don't want discipline. We want comfort. We want immediate relief. We want answers now. If we were to talk to the Lord, we would say, we don't want any fiery darts. And this is what I believe the Lord would say. You're in a fight, and there's going to be fiery darts. Use the shield I gave you. It's the shield of believing God. And Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. When we get into the book of Romans, we won't today. When we get into the book of Romans, Abraham believed God to the tune. That as years are passing by, he's going to have a son, and he doesn't. His wife talks him into having a child, predicated on the fact that God made a promise, but I'm not having a child, so go into Hagar. And, you know, Ishmael was born. And that wasn't what God said. It wasn't what God intended. So now the book says in Romans that Abraham did not stagger at the promise of God through unbelief. He wasn't like this. If you ask people to be honest, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you ask people to be honest, are you going to be healed? Yeah, oh yeah. And then talk to somebody else, well, I'm hoping this will work. Are you going to be healed? Are you going to be saved? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Because that's here. That's the expected response. But out of your heart, you've got to examine your heart to know what is it you really believe. If the news makes you nervous, and personally I don't watch it, because it makes me angry, so I read it. And I read just enough to know what I'm supposed to do with my job of preaching and prayer and teaching to go forward. I know what I'm supposed to do. And you know what you're supposed to do. And you take the shield and it covers your head. It covers all of your chest. It covers your legs. It covers nearly every part of your body to believe God. But what does it mean to believe? I mentioned earlier that it's not simply a mental ascent. Oh, I believe. Yes, I believe in this. How a person believes, as we read in the epistle of James, is how they behave. And especially how they behave under pressure. You can say whatever you want when there is no fight going on. But when the fight is on, well, then we find out who's who. 
Then we find out who actually is undergirded with real faith. And listen to this. Faith cannot be faith unless it is tested. We do not know the strength of something we're depending on, like these chairs. I don't think there's a single person sitting here today that had a lot of doubt about the ability of those chairs to hold you up, which, interestingly, you could have a reasonable doubt. I don't know why, but you could. But when it comes to God, we have all these misgivings. In other words, we'll trust a chair before we'll trust the Word of God. All right, there's reasons for that. God is invisible and so on, and your feelings are all over, the chaotic, your stomach, you're nervous. But watch and listen, and don't listen so much to others. Listen to what comes out of your own mouth. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, you don't know what I pray to God at night when I'm sitting there, laying there all by myself. My wife doesn't know, and I don't know what she's praying either. Only God knows. And only God knows if my faith is genuine or not. And only you must come to the point to know that your faith is genuine and then prove it. Prove it. Are you tempted to be afraid? Of course. Are you tempted to lust and all these? Of course. But we have faith. Today you must know that you belong to Christ. Not to the time for truth, which is, I'm glad you're here. Oh, I'm a Baptist. Wonderful. But there are many people that use that label and Pentecostal, Roman Catholic, Episcopal, Presbyterian that don't know Jesus. And they listen to some of the best preaching on the planet. I mean, as far as it being straight doctrinally. That doesn't mean that everybody who hears it applies it. And that's what must happen. Faith must have legs to walk. And then we use it as a shield of a defense in this warfare that we are in. Listen. This surprise attack in Israel overnight and how this is going to end and everybody promising to eliminate everybody else. Take some comfort in this. Nobody is doing anything without God's permission. Amen. If you read the book and you know enough of the teachings I've given you over the many years that I've been here, God will work out his plan. People say, oh, artificial intelligence. They have all these frightening things that's going to happen with artificial intelligence. But I'll tell you two things. Number one, nothing is going to happen without God saying, this is part of my plan. Let it go. Just let it go. Number two, everything that man gets involved in has some flaw somewhere. Somewhere there's a flaw if man did it. When God does it, it's no flaw. There's no resistance. I have found that by experience... It's easier to resist Satan than God. When God's up against me for whatever reason, it's a type of pressure that I can't describe. You can't escape it. And when you go with it, you find out, ah, this was the right path. Have you made mistakes in your business, your family, your life? Well, we all have. But I realize now, especially that I'm older and I look back, where I took the wrong turn. I could have made a better decision. Doesn't mean it led me in sin. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about the fact that the word has got to be a lamp. I pictured this in my mind just the other day. My dog has a habit of just dropping his toy wherever he wants. At this stage of life, that's not a good idea. So I can't see it when they turn the lights off. But I thought about it anyway. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We are in a dark world. Men are searching for answers on every conceivable problem that we have. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the advances that men have made in all types of areas. But I believe it is God that is giving them the wisdom when they find these truths in any area of life. For us, we have the book. We have the Bible. Why ignore it? It's your sword. And obedience is where we find true faith. And let me go back to my example Lying on your bed at night, you're all alone, nobody to talk to, too late to even call anybody. What is it you really believe? Do you believe the third psalm and the fourth psalm? I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makes me to dwell in safety. Do you really believe that? Or is the night terrors keeping you up and the nightmares and the anxieties? Okay, those are fiery darts. No problem. Nothing wrong with you. You're average. I get the fiery darts too, but I've learned to take the shield. If Satan whispers in my ear these words, it is written, which he doesn't say that explicitly, but it may give me an image of something. Usually it's not a good, you know, it's an image of disaster. But it is written, and it is written again, and it is written again. That's your shield to quench 
all the fiery darts of the wicked one. My favorite recent historical Christian is, as you know, many of you know, George Mueller. Here's a man that did not start off all that well. He was a gambler, drinking, all that stuff. Gets converted. Decides to test God. 19th century. Decides to test God. Goes into the ministry. Starting to take, uh, if you've ever seen Oliver Twist, those type of orphans. Little kids. No homes, beggars, and all that. But he decides to do it in such a way that he will not ask man ever, ever, for help, for aid. And if you read his story, and I really suggest that you do. Here's a man where he starts out by saying why he did this, to prove that God was sufficient. It is estimated that in his lifetime, his ministry of 60, 70 years, whatever it was, it was a long period of time, where at the end of his ministry, he had 10,000 offerings that he sustained by prayer alone. When the furnace broke down on a frigid winter night, they went to prayer. And all of a sudden, wouldn't you know it, something happens. A man shows up at the door. I was passing by fixes the furnace. They don't have food. They're literally praying over empty plates. See, one of the problems here is in America, we don't pray over our food because it's always going to be there. This can't happen to us, but you better believe it. It can. We can open up to an empty refrigerator and not believe our eyes that this happened to us, but if it does, it's because we lost faith in the one and the only true God, the God of this book. He's praying over empty plates. A wagon breaks down, the butcher's wagon breaks down in front of the orphanage, has all this meat that's going to spoil because can't fix the wagon right away, knocks on the door, I have all this food, can you use it? He received over 60,000 answers to prayer many times in the first hour or in that same day. How about your prayer life? Well, I'm just saying that it challenges me because I've not received every single prayer in the first hour or the first day either, but it challenges me to go deeper to become more dedicated. I want to see that for myself. It is estimated, without man's aid, without asking anyone but God, that he brought in over the course of his many decades of ministry close to a half a billion dollars. A half a billion dollars. And without all of the antics and manipulation that we see today, how did he do that? He believed God's word. You're not gonna bring in that type of money. You're not gonna have that type of a ministry. You're not going to be placed in that type of a position. He placed himself there voluntarily. See, I think as a pastor, so I would be saying to myself, man, I don't care if I freeze to death, but I got thousands of orphans here. But he just knew how to hold on to God and believe that no matter what, God is going to come through. My friend, if you've not been in that place, that is a tension-producing situation. Fridge is cold, furnace is out, kids are going to die. And Satan brings out every cohort he has and every companion to make sure that that's what you believe. They're all going to die. And you hold on to the horns of the altar. And God, who cannot lie, and he makes promises, will come through. This is the condition, by the way. Ask without wavering. And as he brings you through, you come to the other side. You see the reward of faith. Real faith. Not a contrived faith. Not, again, an intellectual ascent. When I'm listening to someone speak using the Bible, I can tell intuitively, not just from knowing the Bible, I can tell intuitively whether this person actually believes this and has experience with it, or they're just saying what pretty much you can get on a tape. It's still the Word of God. What we want is people filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean the real Holy Spirit, and there's only one. Fill with the Spirit of God so that when your voice goes forth for yourself or for others, it has clout. They say that some people have a shout but no clout. We don't want that. We don't want people just being cheerleaders. We want people who know their God and will be strong and do exploits. That's what God wants, by the way, for every one of you. Every single one. For the just shall live by his faith, her faith. And there is no way... On this little blue planet, we're going to escape trials and tribulations. It's only a question of how will we handle them as they come. I do this routinely with you. You know, you don't have to raise your hand. Because I already know that every single one of you came in here today with at least something you're facing. Something that's stressing you out. And don't feel bad about that. Those are fiery darts. 
You understand that an arrow is bad. A fiery arrow is worse. So if you get hit with an arrow, that's bad. If it's on fire, that's worse. Some of you who know about weapons, you know how they have these thermal bullets now, which actually looks like it's kind of fun to shoot them. If you've not seen it, you'll see someone firing a pistol, boom! When the bullet hits the target, the whole thing explodes. It explodes into flames. Oh, this is done for fun. But then you have to think to yourself, I would never want to be on the other end of that bullet coming to me because when it hits, it's not going to just go through. It's going to explode and I'm going to burst into flames. That, by comparison, is a fiery dart. It's not just going to wound you. It's going to burn you alive. But with the shield of faith, you'll be able to have that fiery dart explode on your shield. And maybe your shield should be 91, like my brother's. Oh, he said, well, I kind of like 27. Doesn't matter. 23, pick your shield number. And then keep adding to it every day. The devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Oh, you don't have to go to church service today. You can just relax and stay home. This is subtlety. And, and then it goes on and on from there. What Satan is trying to do is build up your unbelief towards God. What God is trying to do is build up your faith. Do you believe, Jesus said, do you believe that I can do this? When he went to Nazareth, his hometown, it says that he could do there no mighty works because of their unbelief. He didn't change. Let's make a story. They could have said, you know, he's different. I mean, he's been doing miracles in Capernaum and Bethsaida and all these places, but he comes back here to his own hometown. Nothing happens. But then a voice comes out of the heavens and says this. He didn't change. You did. Old saying says this. If you find yourself apart from God, who moved? I feel like God's not close to me. He doesn't move. He's God. You moved. But you're looking. Well, some are looking to put the blame over here. Well, you know, if the government was better, if the pastor was better, parents on this line. No, my friend. It's you. You moved. And God did not move. He cannot lie. And that is our foundation. Amen. It's the shield of faith. I want to read to you what I believe in my own view. You can differ. It's fine. What I believe may be the absolute pinnacle of faith in the entire Bible. And there's many of them. But this one always gets my attention. It's found in the book of Habakkuk. I want you to listen carefully, chapter 3, if you're turning, listen carefully to what this verse says. Habakkuk is a prophet, obviously, living in times that are not favorable to his people, such as Israel has right now, and the rest of the world, but we'll narrow it down to just Israel. Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 17. Now listen carefully. Although the fig tree shall not blossom. Now just let me just say something here, parenthetically. I said, we as Americans, we're not concerned. No food? Just go to the store. It's always there. It's always going to be there. Why? Because we're Americans. That would be a tragic mistake for us in this country if we don't put into practice what's on our money in God we trust. But we have to really trust, not just make it a national motto. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines... The labor of the olive shall fail. So we're talking about, we're running out of food. We don't even have olive oil. We don't have figs. We don't have fruit. And the fields shall yield no meat. No food. The vegetables are gone. The corn is gone. The wheat is gone. Everything is gone. The flock shall be cut off from the fold. So we don't have any animal proteins. And there shall be no herd in the stalls. There is nothing painted in this picture by the prophet Habakkuk. Well, God through the prophet. Did nothing. There's nothing. Stop and start to panic. We have nothing. Habakkuk, what are you talking about? We don't have anything. There's nothing in the stores. There's nothing here. They ruined our social security. They took away my 401k. They took away my retirement account. I don't have anything. Then take a lesson from a true man of God right here. He says, even though all these things happen, listen, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. It sounds kind of silly and almost superficial if you don't know what he's talking about. I will joy in the God of my salvation. 
Why? Because the Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like hinds feet. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places. And you see there is to the chief singer on stringed instruments. It's to be sung. Because what he's saying is that no matter what happens in front of me, God is still going to lift me up. God is still going to sustain me. And don't you doubt that for a moment. I know many of you, I know your problems. We've talked about it, praying about it, and they're real. And Don't feel ashamed about that. But you are responsible for how you respond. Can you say, will you say, no matter what's going on in my life right now, God is going to hold me up. God is going to take away. God is not giving me these fears that I constantly deal with. And what are you going to do? I know that none of you here were raised in my neighborhood. Because I lived there, so none of you were there. And you may have been raised in a rough neighborhood someplace else. When I came here, they told me, watch for this street, that street. They're bad neighborhoods. I said, you don't have a bad neighborhood. And I physically took people to where I was born and raised down the streets. And they were frightened. They were like, all right, that's good, Pastor. Let's go. Because we are in a fight. And the neighborhood we live in is called the world. And it's not going away until Christ returns and creates new heavens and new earth. In the meantime... You must be able to say, as Habakkuk says, and of course many of the great patriarchs throughout the entire Bible, Apostle Paul, Peter, name them, Abraham, all of them, David. No matter what happens, God is sovereignly ruling over his universe. If I'm apart from him, he did not move. That's a constant. If I'm shaken because I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, it's only because I forgot that he, the Lord, is my shepherd. And he's leading me, guiding me through the valley of the shadow of death. If I could take a few pictures of my dog, you would be amazed. It doesn't matter where we are. Eating at the table, lying in my bed. He's always looking at me. Always, always, always looking at me. If I make, I mean the slightest move, like my glasses. He's up looking at me. I figure if God can make a dog to watch me so closely for my protection... How much greater is the God that made that dog who never takes his eye off me, he never takes his eye off you, and you've got to get it straight. You've got to start to believe this, that not one bird is going to fall off that tree today without his notice or without his aid. And nothing is going to be built. You've got to believe it. You've got to get that shield up. Stop playing around. You know that I'm sympathetic to your anxieties and your depressions, and others, you know, have issues. You know that I'm sensitive to that. I don't belittle you. But today I'm here to exhort you. Take the shield of faith. What are you waiting for? Don't be an escapist. You know what I believe when it concerns the rapture. And I still believe it. But I'm not hoping every day it happens so I can get relieved of my duty. I'm not retiring by the grace of God. Because I want to be here to do my duty. I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for those I can help. You, those that watch, the radio, whoever. Take up the shield of faith. Shake yourself like Samson shook himself. And that was his way of receiving the Holy Spirit. Shook himself. You have to get tired of running in fear and hiding. And you've got to be smart enough to realize I'm getting hit because I don't have the shield of real faith. That I really believe what I've read. And therefore it's true. And when that happens, this is what you're going to experience. You're going to relax. Why? Because the Lord is your shepherd, if indeed he really is. You can be intelligent enough, and I want to say this in my own behalf, I'm intelligent enough to know what's going on. Pastor Ray, don't you know what's going on? Of course I do, yeah. I read the same news that you knew. I read about the earthquake in Afghanistan yesterday. Yeah. I'm reading about earthquakes and famines and pestilences and wars and rumors of wars and the lawlessness and iniquity. I'm seeing it just like you, but I choose, like Habakkuk, to say, even if all this happens, yet will I rejoice in the Lord my God and trust him because he knows what he's doing. And always remember this, the fear of man brings a snare. I meet people, I've met them. I'm not afraid of anybody. That's the first sign that's telling me that he's got some fear. Because the people that are not afraid are relaxed. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. My dear friend, you would be very wise to develop the fear of the Lord. It's an extreme reverence to know what God can do for good or for evil, should he so choose. But we believe for his good. You believe for his good? You're going to take up the shield of faith or you're going to let your gluteus maximus get kicked all over town every time a fiery dart hits you in the head. There it is. Got another fiery dart. 
Put up the shield of faith. Believe God. Yeah, you're going to have fiery darts. You're going to have them. I have them. Just take the shield of faith. And by taking the shield of faith, you will be able to quench most of those darts. Well, it sounds good on paper. But we want it to come to pass in our life, in our testimony. We want to be able to testify that we've quenched all the fiery darts. Not that they didn't come. That's comfort. But to have the discipline to say, they came, they keep coming, and I keep putting up the shield of faith, and I quench every single fiery dart of the wicked one. I don't need to ask you, show of hands, you know, who's under stress? I think I should ask a question like, who is not under stress? So I'd like to meet you. We agreed we're all under attack? Amen. Uh-huh. I already know that, but I want to meet the person who says, not me. That's, I don't know, I can't relate to that. The shield of faith is in your hand right now. Believe the Lord. The fiery darts have been coming all week, all month, all year, and the shield of faith will quench every single one of them. The question is, I want to ask you this morning is, will you take it up? Protecting everything from your head right down to your ankles. Will you keep turning it every time a fiery dart comes? And please get this message straight. They're going to come. Don't think because you stood up with a Bible, Satan says, oh, he's got a Bible, I'm going away. Jesus stood up with the Word of God, and all he did was come back and quote the Word of God again. We are not better than Jesus, and if Jesus could quote the Bible as his sword, why can't we? Why shouldn't we? Why don't we? He's our example. Satan didn't go away because Jesus said it is written. He came back with another, it is written. If Jesus, who he's God, so if Jesus wasn't clever enough to say, yeah, that, yeah that's right, I could jump off this temple. Well, as a man, that would have been a disaster. We don't jump for the devil. We don't bake bread for the devil. We don't bow down. We don't worship the devil. We stand like Mordecai against the devil with the shield of faith, knowing that God cannot fail. Amen. Father, touch my friends today. They are my family. And I ask you today, Father God, in Jesus' name, first of all, impart to my friends and family here and those watching by way of television and the radio to have the good sense to take up the shield of faith so they can quench all the fiery darts that are going to come and that are coming. And fight the good fight of faith, and it is a fight. God, help them right now and fill them with your spirit, not specious and spurious thoughts and things, and God told me this and that. Let them be able to quote what the book says. God, fill your church today and strengthen, my friends. Strengthen the brethren. We bless you and we praise you and we thank you. And I'm trusting that right now in my heart that you are encouraging the brethren. Again, here in the sanctuary, there by television, on the radio, you are encouraging them, having done all to stand because they're covered in the full armor. We're using all of the pieces, especially that shield of faith, for which without that, nothing happens, nothing good. We bless you and we praise you. We thank you and give you honor and we give you glory. For truly, Lord, you are great and you are greatly to be praised.